I'm Jorge Salazar with the Texas Advanced Computing Center. For scientists, natural systems can try one's patience. For a long time, there's nothing. Then all of a sudden, something happens. Wonderful things in nature can burst on the scene after long periods of dullness. Rare events such as protein folding, chemical reactions, or even the seeding of clouds. Path sampling techniques employ computer algorithms that deal with the dullness in data by focusing on transitions. Scientists are using supercomputers to help understand the relatively rare event of salts in water passing through atomically thin nanoporous membranes. This research could not only help make progress in desalination for fresh water, it has applications in decontaminating the environment, better pharmaceuticals, and more. Advanced path sampling techniques and molecular dynamic simulations captured the kinetics of solute transport through nanoporous membranes, according to a study published online in the cell journal Matter, January of 2020. Supercomputers supported the research through allocations on Exceed, the extreme science and engineering discovery environment funded by the National Science Foundation. Researchers ran simulations on the Stampede 2 system at TAC. On the podcast today is study co-author Amir Hajakberry, an assistant professor of chemical and environmental engineering at Yale University. Dr. Hajakberry, welcome to the podcast. It's my pleasure to do that. Thanks for reaching out. Would you please tell us uh, the main findings of a study that you co-authored on ion transport through nanopores? This was published in the journal Cell, one of their journals called Matter, actually, in December of 2019. The main goal of that study was to use molecular dynamic simulations and advanced path sampling techniques to capture the kinetics of solute transport through nanoporous membranes and the goal was basically to be able to calculate the mean first passage times for solutes irrespective of the magnitude of those means first passage times so typically when you conduct molecular dynamic simulations uh, depending on the type of force fields that you utilize there is a limitation on the length of simulations that you can conduct. And using atomistic force fields with explicit uh, non-polarizable electrostatics, you can typically access time scales around a few hundred microseconds. Maybe if you have really good supercomputers or specialized architectures, you can go up a few orders of magnitude higher but you can't do much better than that. And when you have semi-permeable nanoporous membranes that are supposed to reject certain solutes or ions, the mean first passage times can be much longer than the times accessible to MD. And our goal was to come up with a scalable framework to calculating these mean first passage times. And for that purpose, we use a technique called forward flux sampling, which can be equally used with equilibrium and non-equilibrium MD. And the non-equilibrium aspect was particularly important for us because when you're thinking about driven solute or ion transport, you are dealing with a non-equilibrium process that is either pressure-driven or is driven through external electric fields. So for that purpose, we use simple desalination system 
with a graphite-based nanoporous membrane, two pistons. But that particular geometry was not key, I would say, for what we planned to do. We just wanted to conduct a proof-of-concept calculation that you can get accurate mechanistic and kinetic information from these types of simulations using for flux sampling. It, however, turned out that the, for the process that we studied, we were able to not only achieve our goals uh, that I described, but we were able to identify a very interesting, previously unknown mechanism for ion transport through nanopores. And that mechanistic aspect is what we call induced charge and isotropy. So to give you a perspective, when you have a semi-permeable membrane that, say, allows for the passage of the solvent but excludes most of the solutes in the system, that membrane could still have nanopores in which the solutes that are supposed to be rejected can still fit. So geometrically, these solutes can enter the pores and pass the membrane accordingly. However, what seems to be keeping them back from doing that is the fact that when you have a solute, which, let's say, within water, there usually is a strong association between that solute and what we call its solvation shell, or in the case of aqueous solutions, hydration shell. So there are certain number of solvent molecules that are bound relatively strongly to the central solute. And when the solute wants to enter the membrane, it has to lose some of these molecules. And the task of losing those molecules is energetically costly. So that's why there is a basically a limitation or rather a barrier for their entrance into the membrane. And that was what we expected in the system that we studied, that the transport of sodiums and chlorides will basically be limited by their partial dehydration. It, however, turns out that this picture, although accurate, is not complete. And when you have an ion that passes through a nanoporous membrane, there is another factor that pulls it back and prevents it from entering and traversing the pore. And that second factor is what we call induced charge and isotropy. And to give you a simple perspective of what that is, imagine a chloride that has entered a nanopore. Now, what that chloride tends to be doing is, when it is inside the nanopore, it tends to sort of order or sort the ions, the remaining ions that are in the feed. So because of the presence of that chloride inside the pore, it will be more likely for sodium ions in the feed to be closer to the pore mouth than the chloride ions. And that imbalance is what we call induced charge and isotropy, because there is charge and isotropy, and that charge and isotropy is induced by the passage of the chloride ion. And that is the additional factor that pulls back the leading ion. So you basically have two factors, partial dehydration, which was previously known, but also this induced charge and isotropy that is, as far as we know, the, the first time that's 
being identified. Another um, uh, background, kind of basic question, is um, why are scientists, such as with, with your group and other groups all over the world, why are they interested in nanopores? What's to be gained in studying nanopores? So in principle, when you're thinking about membrane separation, it has a lot of applications in many different disciplines from, say, organic separation in chemical engineering, gas separation. You can think of biological membrane transport. So you have membrane proteins that are like permeable to certain ions or molecules, but don't allow the remaining molecules. We particularly got interested in this problem in the context of water desalination. So one of the processes that is extensively used in desalination is called reverse osmosis, which is basically a process in which you have a semi-permeable membrane that separates, say, a salty solution from clear or pure water. And by applying a hydrostatic pressure to the salty feed, you allow the water molecules to overcome the osmotic pressure difference between the two membranes, and the water molecules pass while the solutes that you have in that mixture or the solution are excluded. And the efficiency and success of these reverse osmosis processes depends strongly on the selectivity of these membranes. And by selectivity, what you can think of how many water molecules pass the membrane for every solute that passes the membrane? And that's why we got interested in this question of ion transport through membranes, because we want to evaluate these long mean first passage times, which are a proxy to selectivity. And the grand goal of our work is to use the method that we have recently developed and we use in this paper to study the structure selectivity rela relationship in, nano, in nanoporous membranes for desalination applications. But you can use this framework, as I said, for other types of membrane-based separation processes like gas separation, like organic solvent separation, like biological membrane transport. Dr. Hajib Akbari, um, would you speak to um, the computation that was um, involved in this study um, and some of the challenges that you faced um, that may have motivated going to high-performance computing, supercomputers? Um, and I believe that, that you use this computation uh, regarding uh, some of the challenges in modeling the diffusion rates as the, the movement of these, uh, of these solute uh, through the graphene nanopores, these membranes? The method that we use, the forward flux sampling method, is based on basically having a large number of, I think in the jargon of high-performance computing, it's called weak coupling, if I'm not mistaken. So these are parallelizable processes that do not really interact that strongly with one another. So you, have, you can have a large number of independent trajectories running simultaneously, which is something that you can't do like in an office computer or a small cluster. You need a large number of nodes and cores to be able to do that. But when you have those cores, you have a 
a linear efficiency basically between the number of cores that you're using and the efficiency that you get. So in that regard, high-performance computing is very suitable for uh, using these types of methods. We have previously used it to study crystal nucleation, and this is the first time that you're using it to study ion transport through membranes. Would you speak to the Exceed resources that you used, um, Exceed being the extreme science and engineering discovery environment that's funded by the National Science Foundation? I mean, it was extremely useful and indispensable to what we did because the underlying trajectories that are part of the four-flux sampling method, these are atomistic simulations, and these are fairly expensive simulations. So we couldn't definitely have finished these studies using the resources that we have locally at Yale and we used resources on Stampede 2. I think the, we used, in particular, we use a Skylake. So you have two, two types of nodes on Stampede 2. One of them is KNL. The other one is SKX nodes, right? So we use the SKX nodes on Stampede 2 for conducting these calculations. We mostly did our software development part locally here. So... We have an in-house trajectory managing program that interfaces with LAMPS and conducts these advanced path sampling simulations like for flood sampling. And uh, we have been developing it since 2015 when I was a postdoc at Princeton and we have added quite a lot to the package and we hope that at some point we're gonna make it publicly available, but uh, we haven't done so. But we use that package, basically. We don't particularly get any extensive software help through Exceed, but we, so we mostly use the hardware. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Um, what's the most important thing that you'd like people to know about using supercomputers to help understand nanoscale phenomena? I would say they're extremely useful in basically addressing questions that we can't address with just regular computing resources. I mean, so for example, this calculation we couldn't have done without a supercomputer. So they're extremely valuable in accessing scales that are not accessible to either experiments because of their lack of resolution and also simulations uh, because you really need a large number of computer nodes and processors to be able to address them. You've been listening to Amir Hajakberry of Yale University. For the Texas Advanced Computing Center, I'm Jorge Salazar. <laughs>